Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in today. Really do appreciate you giving me your attention. And today we're very lucky. We've got a guest on the show. We've got Jay Ellis. We're going to be chatting about hamstrings. So everything to do with hamstrings. So strength, the mobility in your hips, um, a lot of the reasons why people tend to injure their hamstrings, how you can strengthen them, uh, and also some tips and tricks for people that tend to not get the activation in their hammies that they would like to. So I'll introduce you guys to Jay, and I'm going to let him give you a bit of background on his experience in the fitness industry so far. Um, so Jay, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah, look, I'm probably the most underwhelming guest you've had so far. But, <laughs> I don't know about um, that. No, I appreciate you bringing me in. Look, I'm by no means a, a hamstring expert. Um, I'm just fortunate that I've been around a lot of different programs, uh, learned from a lot of different mentors, and been able to compile that uh, into my own beliefs surrounding how to strengthen and how to uh, improve hamstring uh, function for sport and just uh, general health and wellness. Uh, primarily, most of my experience has been through uh, junior football circles. I spent seven years in the TC Cup in the under-18 system, um, which is at the same time with AFL Victoria, so a lot of sort of junior football development. As you probably know, a lot of junior kids, yep. um, not necessarily strong, robust hamstrings, which for football is a bit of a requirement, so that's yep. a bit of a uh, paradigm there. Uh, I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time at Collingwood um, in a two-year internship there as well. So it's, again, just a lot of football heavy loaded sort of stuff. Um, I've got different experiences. I also went across to America, worked in college in NC State uh, for three and a half months. When I say work, I was a seasonal assistant, so I was an intern. Um, but they have a totally different way of approaching it, which is great. Um, what, what sport was that with? Was that uh, college football? Football, yeah. Yeah, so uh, big, powerful um, strength, speed, power-based athletes. Yeah. Uh, total different contrast to AFL. So that was really interesting to see how they went about doing it. And I picked up a few tips and tricks from them. Um, and then I came back, and I've been really lucky to um, land a role with the Casey Demons and Melbourne Demons um, as high performance manager for the VFL program. And then it's got a, a small return to play rehab uh, type role with the AFL guys as well, just sort of recondition their bodies to uh, assimilate back through the either VFL or AFL program. So I've worked all those jobs concurrently um, with my time down at Woodford Sports Science with uh, Christian Woodford in Moorabbin. Yep. Um, and that's just a lot of private sector coaching, a variety of athletes. And that's also been a great experience being able to apply my craft in a totally different setting. Yeah, so I, I don't actually know your answer to this, but... Um in my opinion, I tend to see a lot with athletes, especially in amateurs, hamstrings tend to be one of the number one injuries that kind of occur. And, and specifically with people that have done it before, they tend to do it over and over and over again. Yep. Um, and a lot of the time, especially, in, as I said, in amateurs, it's it's kind of just like, oh, I don't really know what happened. It's kind of just a bit of bad luck and move on and it never really gets addressed. So with the athletes that you've worked with, um, semi-professional, professional, what tends to be kind of that number one injury that comes up a lot, or even soreness? Uh, it probably would be hamstrings, but funnily enough, it's sort of one of those things that what you look for is what you tend to find. I remember there was a bit of an endemic of uh, OP diagnosis in the late 2000s, particularly in football, um, and people looking for OP, and funnily enough, they found OP, and then yep. nowadays, the same sort of thing. If you look at uh, scans and MRIs, whatever you tend to look for is what you'll find, and you sort of neglect the other parts. It's just a bit of a... Um, where you, where you put your focus, but from a general sort of setting, hamstring strains are really popular footballs as well as groin and quads, a lot of lower limb yeah. um, type injuries, and yeah, it, it doesn't really um, it doesn't really 
have any difference between juniors and senior guys. They all tend to be pretty similar sort of injuries. Yeah, and um, when this is kind of all <coughs> stuff that I started to really think about and become aware of actually when I come out to, to Woodford's and um, when I initially came out there. But what seems to be the common causes of weak or lazy hamstrings? Uh, primarily, I think it's just the lack of um, a lack of time spent training them. There's okay. a bit of a, a bit of a mirror mentality, particularly junior footballers. I, I think the I think the older guys understand that for them it's a it's their occupation now. So they need to prepare their bodies as best possible, and they put a lot of time into hamstring strengthening in particular. Yep. Um, a lot of junior footballers sort of yeah, like I said, get focused on the mirror mentality with a lot of anterior chain dominant exercises. Yep. Um, which a lot of exercise actually sort of extends. So, um, you know, leg extensions, squats, um, bench press, all those sort of things, whether you work on your chest, your quads, yeah. uh, your Beach biceps, muscles. that sort of thing, your bench yeah, muscles, yeah. 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 Um, so it's sort of a situation where the, the front is for show, the back is for go. And what you need to yeah. do is sort of look at the body and say, well, uh, glutes, hamstrings, calves, uh, all your postural muscles through your back, your lats, uh, rhomboids, traps, all that sort of stuff is really important for athletic performance. And I tend to build athletes from uh, inside out and back to front. Right. Do you want to go into a bit of detail about that for those that are listening that kind yep. of have no idea what that means? Sure. Um, so obviously when, when I say inside out, sort of start with the uh, the torso. Uh, make sure they've got function movement through T-spine, hips, um, lumbar pelvic control, shoulders, all those sort of uh, more centralised sort of muscles and uh, joints. Uh, then you build out to your peripheries if you need to. When you work on your ISO stuff, your biceps, your calves, um, your traps, all that sort of little stuff as well. And then back to front, as I alluded to before, um, it's a lot of posterior chain strength and conditioning between glutes, hamstrings, uh, lats, all those sort of posterior muscles I ran through before. Um, I think having said that, though, to put that into context, it's not at the uh, expense of training those other muscles because obviously each muscle has its own function. Yeah. Um, and balance and uh, coordinated movement is probably the most important thing rather than actually trying to train the muscle group, train the movement pattern. Um, and then smooth, efficient movements usually the number one way to start going about rehab. Yeah. Now, a lot of the clients that I see, so um, I do see a fair few athletes, but then again, on the other hand, a lot of mine uh, are just kind of people that enjoy training, uh, might have a pretty sedentary job and sit down a lot. And one of the biggest problems I find is mobility, which is not kind of allowing these clients or athletes to use their, their hamstrings and glutes in the most efficient way. So how much emphasis do you put on um, hip mobility for athletes or just anyone in general? Um, yeah, look, I think it's probably one of the things that, uh, as you alluded to, lifestyle has uh, been a big, um, what's the word, it's been pretty uh, negative to how the body functions. So a lot of people uh, spend a lot of time in hip flexion, uh, kyphosis, sort of your, your typical desk slouched over posture. Um, and what that sort of does, um, people sort of say the words it deactivates. I mean, your hamstrings are always active depending on you know, what, what you're doing unless yeah. you're dead. Um, it's, more, <laughs> it's more the neurological tone, which... Um, Hip mobility is probably the least of your worries if you're dead. Then exactly, yeah, I would, yeah, I would have thought so. It's it's more just where where you sort of um, what your brain sort of spends time actually uh, patterning more often. So if you're patterning hip flexion a lot through seat uh, being seated as a byproduct, you have to obviously allow your hamstrings to move to accommodate the hip flexion. Mm. So, um, in in layman's terms. The time you spend um, the most position is what your body will adapt to. And largely my job, if you had a sedentary uh, worker, uh, desk-bound, or even just a you know general sort of labourer who spent a lot of time picking stuff up, you sort of need to plug the gaps and go, what are they not doing? So if yeah. they're spending a lot of time in hip flexion, you probably need to look at spending some time in hip extension. Mm-hmm. So things like glute bridges, uh, the top of a deadlift, um, just lots of mo- mobility and coordination exercises that sort of offset what they're doing quite a lot of is really important because people tend to go, well, you spend time in hip flexion, so yeah. let's strengthen. 
strength and the hip flexors up, and that that is true. Um, but you sort of got to look at what they're what they're not using and try and develop them a bit more holistically. Yep. And if we're if someone's listening in at the moment, that's maybe putting their own program together, or if there's a coach or a trainer listening at the moment, a lot of the theory says with the push and pull ratios that it should be kind of two to one in favour of pull to push. Yeah. Um, is that basically? It's a pretty broad statement, but is that something that you look at when you're putting together a program for an athlete? It's it's a really broad statement, and like most things in the strength conditioning world, it's um it's contextual. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine, Jamie Smith, uh, who runs a gym down at Melbourne Strength Culture, wrote an article recently that I I really agree with. Is that people try and simplify complex things and make uh, complex things really simple? Um, yeah. Okay. And when you talk about the push pull relationship, it's easy to sort of quantify it and say, well, if you um, if you overhead press 100 kilos, you should be chinning up you know the equivalent of 100 kilos, including your body weight. Yeah. Or if you bench 100 kilos, you bench over 100 kilos, and it's a bit more um, it's a bit more refined than that. You got to look at the function of the back muscles in particular. There's a lot of different muscles, big, small, um, different pronation angles, all that sort of stuff, where they sort of align a bit differently. And it's not just as simple as that, but it's a general rule. You won't go wrong doing it. It's just more the little sort of um, cherries on top, uh, getting the scap retraction, protraction, um, elevation, depression, all the rotation um, through the you know T-spine, all that sort of stuff that you sort of take for granted doesn't necessarily get tied into just a strictly uh, push-pull sort of uh, mindset. Yeah, and then along with the, the hamstring injuries and the hamstring tightness and stuff like that, lower back pain is obviously a, a big one um, in society and also with athletes, um, whether it's kind of overloading, like you said, too much on the anterior uh, where they're not getting optimal glute activation or hamstrings aren't working properly. So do you see a correlation between hamstring strength and lower back pain? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it has been largely anecdotal for many years. I'm sure a lot of people tell you, um, strength and conditioning coach, when you strengthen the hamstrings and the glutes, it does tend to relieve back pain. But science has sort of come around and um, validated that somewhat. Yeah. Um, back pain is multifactorial, and I think a lot of people try and, again, they try and simplify something that's very complex and make yeah. it down to strengthen the glutes and mobilize the hips. Um, there's a lot of psychological uh, component to back pain as well as... Um, uh, nerve function, uh, hormonal function, that sort of stuff that is far outside my area of expertise. Yep. But generally speaking, when you look at the muscles that surround the lower back and the pelvis, um, I, I sort of liken it to a, a group project in that ev- everyone's sort of been through school or university and there's always one person doing a whole lot of work in the group project. There's a couple of people doing, you know, little bits and pieces and there's one or two guys that do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, with, with all due respect to people we're yeah. through uni with, I'm sure it's, it's not, not, not directed at you guys. Um, no, it is. So, it is. So what sort of, um, the way I sort of look at it is if you look at it from the point of view that around the sort of um, the pelvic region, you've got your uh, your hip flexors on the anterior side, uh, you've got your hamstrings and your glutes through the back, you've got your adductors through the, uh, the medial side, and then you've got your rectus spinae through the back as well. And, and what sort of happens is people go, oh, well, the hamstring is the one that's um, sore or the lower back's one that's sore. Yeah. Let's focus on the lower back. Whereas the reality is, um, you know, when you do a group project, it's not the people doing nothing that uh, tend to get stressed out come exam time. It's the person who's trying to do everything for their yeah. their classmates. It's the ones taking all the stress. And when you sort of look at it that way, if the pain is in the back, um, again, a- anecdotally, but nine times out of ten, I've sort of found it's not necessarily back-related due to imbalance, either hamstrings, glutes, uh, hip flexors, adductors, or just the quality of movement thereof. Yeah. Um, totally withstand the fact that often it can be a medical problem as well, which is, um, number one, just refer on to a qualified practitioner, whether it's a doctor or a physiotherapist or whoever it needs to go to. Yeah, spot on. And you did uh, briefly refer to this before, but let's say, for example, you've had someone come in <coughs> or someone that's listening at the moment has got some lower back pain or even just find that they have really weak hamstrings. So they've come into you, you've 
done some mobility with them, a bit of activa- activation work or, and whatnot. What are some of the kind of key exercises that you like to focus on when you're trying to build up someone's hamstring so that's clearly underdeveloped? Yeah, um, I'm really, really simple, so I don't have any fancy answers if anyone's out there. Um, what what has worked for a long time, I, I believe, will work in the future. Um, I will uh, preface it by saying this. There's a lot of research out around Nordics at the moment, um, and I spend a lot of spare time on Twitter, probably too much, and <laughs> I, uh, I see a lot of people saying Nordics are good, bad, otherwise, or don't use Nordics, or Nordics don't fix this, and I think people have lost sight of the fact that it's just a tool in your toolbox. Yeah. Um, it's one exercise, and like everything, um, if you know, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, I think you need to look at it from the point of view that... Uh, the simple exercise for me, my always go-to is the RDL yeah. or, or Romanian deadlift. Yep. Um, I think if you can coach that um, with technical proficiency and a good understanding of what, what you're trying to achieve from it, that's always a great starting point. Uh, things like Nordics, glute bridges, um, just a simple bodyweight pattern squat. Um, slide boards are great if you know how to do a slide board lunge or some um, okay. lateral sliding for your adductors. Those things are fantastic as well. And just try and look at um, train the body holistically for function rather than trying to isolate the muscle groups. That's yeah. probably my number one tip. Um, I know a lot of people at the moment sort of think, oh, well, you know, Nordics will fix everything. Um, they're certainly a fantastic tool and I think they're really effective and research has shown uh, things like the FIFA 11 program have been great at actually using Nordics just in a bit of a warm-up to reduce injury rates um, in soccer players primarily. Okay. Um, and similar sort of things, I think, are in place for maybe netball now as well. So, I, I look, I certainly um, use the Nordic, but not at the expense of uh, simple barbell patterns and bodyweight patterns that can do the same sort of thing as well. Right, and then, so we, you've gone over just then about going through movements and not so much just isolation exercises. Yeah. Um, for someone that is doing isolation exercises in their program, so... Maybe someone listening is uh, has done their compound movements, but they are training for the purpose of building muscle mass or yep. or hypertrophy. So, what are like with such, for example, a, a hamstring curl? What are some of yep. the cues that you'd be getting someone to focus on when doing, say, a, a lying hamstring curl? Yeah, um, that, that's a that's a really really question, which I think we've actually uh, touched on. Uh, before, um, what I like to explain to people, you know that little, um, that old El Paso with the Mexican girl, it says, why can't we have both? The soft shell, hard shell, yeah, yeah, it's great taco type yeah, thing. It's a really, yeah, it's a really good yeah. ad. And I think, <laughs> I think people, um, I think people tend to sort of fall in a camp where, yeah, you have to do this or you have to do that. Um, and a lot of people go, well, you know, don't use Nordics, don't use seated hamstring curls and only use Bible exercises. Mm. Um, and then you get people, um, who quite the opposite say oh you know not everyone needs to do barbell exercises we're not trying to train powerlifters you know just train the hamstring through its functional machines yeah. and um, the reality is that you should actually if you've got a great program in place and you know you've got a trust from your athlete you can do a lot of different things and find out what works for them there's not going to be any magic bullet um, sorry mag- magic pill silver bullet that actually um, helps them um, but when you sort of look at the focus of the uh, the seated hamstring curl a lot of it is just building around proprioception, which through an injured muscle is really important, getting mm. that sort of feel back. Yeah. Um, and there's actually, the seated hamstring curls are a really great way to do that. Is it uh, my go-to exercise? No, but yeah. um, again, it's something you can sort of add a bit of supplementary load to the hamstring without the stress of trying to hold a bar with an RDL. Um, and it's also very simple as well. Like yeah. if, you're, if you're working with someone who doesn't actually have the... Uh, the body awareness or the skill set to actually perform an RDL or a Nordic or something like that to start with. Um, you know, particularly with older patients with back pain, the seated hamstring curls are perfectly um, great exercise just to start with and get that sort of feel through the muscle. So from a, uh, a cue point of view, um, people are really sensitive to touch these days. So sometimes actually if you put your hands on their hamstring, 
and get them to curl really slowly. That's a great way to sort of engage it um, and get that sort of neurological feedback. Yep. Um, secondly, we spoke about before is just try and we'll just, do an I'll isometric hold. Try, uh, just butting quickly yep. um, to give a bit of context. So when I spoke to Jay a while back, a problem that I was having, and I know that a lot of people listening are uh, having the same problem because it, it's been coming up a bit with clients lately is on remaining deadlifts, glute bridges, all that type of stuff, uh, hamstring activation feels great, but as soon as I get to a curling exercise, um, specifically lying hamstring curls, I've really struggled to get activation through the muscle belly, and a lot of it comes down towards the knee. So um, I reached out to Jay and asked him how I could actually increase the, the activation of the muscle belly a bit higher up towards the glute. So this, what Jay's about to go over now, if you're struggling with this problem, then this would be kind of perfect for you to, to help increase that awareness around that part of the hamstring. Yeah, and, and this, prob- this probably is something that um, has more... Um, I guess it's more appropriate for people who are looking for that real isolated muscle connection, um, which is useful in a multitude of ways, whether it is rehab or uh, hypertrophy sort of training. But, um, yeah, like I think the thing is people are sensitive to touch. So sometimes if you actually put your hands in the hamstring while they're curling it, if you've got a good relationship with the client, you can do that. Um, please ask. Please ask, ask first. first. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second thing is there's actually great research around uh, the neurological mechanisms of uh, that sensation as well, whereas if you think about uh, activating the muscle belly, they've actually proven what you think about activating, you've got a greater chance of actually getting a, real, a strong contraction doing so. Mm. Uh, that's not just specific to the hamstrings, everything from bicep curl to a, uh, a bench press to a lateral raise, whatever you're doing, the more you actually focus on that muscle group mentally, um, they've had really, really good results with that from... Uh, an EMG standpoint and just um, you know, scan the brain for brain activity as well. So uh, that's really interesting. The other thing which I'd recommend is actually just try an isometric hold or a really slow tempo movement through different ranges of motion to find what works for you. Um, long-levered people versus short-levered people are going to have totally different torque loading um, at the knee and the, and the hip. Um, so you might find if you've got really long levers or a really long femur, for example, where you're going to feel the muscle belly contract optimally will be totally different to someone like me who's got quite short femurs. Um, yeah. And you need to sort of control for that as well. Um, depending how confident you are as a, a coach or an athlete, you can also look, sort of look at the fact where, where the femur is sitting in the hip socket. Um, you know, if you've got naturally really inter- interiorly rotated uh, femurs or externally rotated femurs, when you sit on a machine, they tend to sort of fix it to a set position, which may not be optimal for you. So what you can look at is actually sort of rotating um, from the hips or rotate your femur outwards or inwards to try and see if that works effectively and getting the hamstrings uh, contracting better as well. No worries. And, yeah, that's really good advice, actually. And I wanted to finish things off. Um, so for those who are listening, before we get into to this week's social media questions of the week, um, Jay, before you leave, mate, so if I've got someone listening at the moment who... Um, is an athlete or someone that's just coming in to do their own workout in the gym, what's kind of a, a quick warm-up or an effective warm-up, that warm-up they can do so to make sure that their hammies and glutes are firing um, before they start? Uh, I'm actually... Um, I, I really enjoy yoga-based exercises um, as, a, as a warm-up. So you can sort of extrapolate things from yoga into basic strength and conditioning practices like a, um, an inchworm, for example, which is a very equivalent to a downward dog from a yoga-type pose. Um, a couple of really simple Nordics are a great way to start. Um, you provide that you're comfortable doing them. Some people prefer to do them at the end of a session. For those that don't know what a Nordic is, because um, not everyone would have tried it, I'll put a link in the in the show notes to a video um, so you can check that out and see what that looks like. Yeah, um, but I, I, I like really really sort of high 
high tempo, explosive movements, so like a kettlebell swing, uh, potentially a broad jump, where the hamstrings are working uh, in coordination with the glutes and uh, hip flexors and those sorts of muscles to create an explosive movement. So you can look through like uh, jumping for distance with a broad jump, like I said, or a, a kettlebell swing is always a great way to start it with a really high tempo movement. And what I sort of encourage people to do with the kettlebell swing is they're, they're so focused on the, on, the, um, on the concentric moment of going into hip extension. If you actually put effort into pulling the kettlebell down with a bit of force, when you pull it down rapidly, it does create a greater stretch in the hamstring because yeah. your hamstring has to catch it. So um, sometimes just simple adjustments to the same exercises you're doing are the best way to warm up and rather than just focusing on the concentric, like, you know, really focusing on different parts of the same movement. Mm. Um, but just with finishing off with hamstring strains, I was, um, I was just going to mention earlier, which I actually forgot, um, if anyone's really interested in hamstring strains as a as a mechanism of injury, there's a, a really good piece of research by Timmins in 2015. That's T-I-M-M-I-N-S. And what he sort of found was that I think 40% of hamstring injuries, when you um, look at them, were with weak hamstrings that had a really short fascicle length. And conversely, I think 4% were with people with uh, a really long fascicle length and strong hamstrings. So if you sort of look at what you can have from a hamstring, it can either be weak or it can be strong, it can be short or it can be long. Um, again, what he sort of found was weak and short uh, accounted for 40% of strains, and I think long and strong was only 4%. So right. it's it's pretty pretty compelling figures there to say if, if you can get a hamstring that's really strong and really long, um, yeah, you've gone a long way to actually you know bulletproof your hamstrings as, as best possible. And conversely, a hamstring that's really weak and really short is going to be um, pretty susceptible to injury. So... Um, I think the take-home message with all of that is, uh, look, the principle is really important. The method's not so much. Um, if you want to get a strong and long hamstring, it doesn't matter whether you achieve that through yoga, through Pilates, uh, through basic barbell training, bodyweight training, or machine-based training. Um, you know, I think when you sort of tie into the, the, the methods, people sort of get hell-bent on you know, certain sort of ways. Mm. Uh, the principle, which I really like from that research, is get them long, get them strong. And I think the more ways you can train it through the more exercises, more range of motion, uh, more tempos, more loads, um, you know, the, the better you'll be. So try and just sort of vary it um, in a really progressive manner. Awesome. I well, mate, really do appreciate you coming in, coming in today. And um, I know I've taken uh, a lot of stuff from the interview and I'm sure all the listeners have as well. So uh, thanks for coming in, man. No, I appreciate it. Awesome. All right, guys, make sure you do stick around for the last couple of minutes as I get into this week's social media questions of the week. What an awesome interview there with Jay, guys. I hope you've taken a lot away from today's episode. If you're someone that's had hamstring problems in the past, hopefully you can implement some of those things that Jay has mentioned today and uh, and be on your way to stronger and healthier hamstrings. But let's get stuck into this week's social media questions of the week. And the first question was, should you be eating carbohydrates at night? Now, this is a good question. I may have even answered this on the podcast before, but it really is, it's largely irrelevant when you eat your carbohydrates, as long as you are still sticking to your calorie intake and a minimum amount of protein. So let's say, for example, your carbohydrate target for the day is 300 grams of carbs. It does not matter when you get those 300 grams of carbs and your body doesn't know that it's after dinner and that you're going to bed and all that type of stuff and you're not going to store carbohydrates as fat if you don't burn them off. So a lot of people are scared of eating big meals and high carbohydrate meals after dinner or after they've done their exercise because they think that it's going to be converted to fat and that's just not how it works. So uh, I'll use myself as an example. A lot of the time throughout the day, I don't eat as many carbohydrates as what I would actually like to because I'm busy at work. So a lot of my meals tend to be protein and fats so by the time I get home at the end of the day 
my carbohydrate target, uh, I'm still way off my carbohydrate target, which means that I need to reach that. So to do it, I need to have high carbohydrate meals. So a typical night for me may be a 50 to 60 gram carbohydrate uh, dinner, followed by some sort of dessert, which is close to 50 to 60 grams again. So I'm getting almost, or a lot of time, over 100 grams of carbohydrates right before I go to sleep. And it makes absolutely no difference to my body composition as long as I'm sticking to my calorie target and hitting my macros. Uh, everything is going to work out sweet and it's going to be no different compared to eating a lot of your carbohydrates earlier in the day. So that's a great question there. And the other one here is, I'm not not 100% sure who this question came from, but it was about your breathing technique um, and how much importance you should put on breathing when you're doing strength training or lifting weights. And it is largely important. So I'm going to use the example here of a squat. Uh, so a lot of people don't put much emphasis on uh, their breath and their breathing technique when they're lifting. So if you're squatting, for example, and you have a large, uh, a significantly heavy weight on your back, so you're doing a barbell squat and you're not focusing on your breathing, then you're not going to have that internal pressure through your core when you get to the bottom of the squat, which makes it dangerous and also makes it a lot harder to actually complete and perform the rep. So what I'll do on a on a squat, for example, is before the rep, I'll take a big deep inhale and I'm going to hold that breath until I come out of the bottom of the squat and get close to the top, reset, tuck my pelvis under, take another deep breath and go again. And the same rules apply on basically any, any movement. I'm pretty much inhaling and holding a, a, a breath and creating that internal pressure through my core as I do the concentric part of the rep and then release that breath at the top, reset, and then start again. So I hope uh, those answers to today's social media questions have helped you in some way or another. Uh, thank you to those people who sent those questions through. And as always, if you have a question that you'd like answered, feel free to email me, danny at dannykennedyfitness.com. Um, if you want to check out my website, I've just had a new update and it's looking uh, it's looking a lot better than what it did. Really easy to work your way through. So go and check out some of the old blog posts. Um, if you're interested in any online coaching, you can check out my program section. Or if you'd like to just get in touch, you can go to the contact page. So that website is www.dannykennedyfitness.com. But thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. As I mentioned at the start, hamstring strength and, and the health and, uh, and injuries to the hamstrings is a large problem. So if you think that somebody you know could benefit from listening to today's episode or even if you've just enjoyed it i'd love it if you could take a screenshot of today's episode on your phone within the next 30 minutes and post it to your social media tag your friends maybe even share the link on your facebook or just tell somebody that you know to come and check it out uh, that'd be largely appreciated so i hope you're having a fantastic day look forward to chatting to you in the next episode of the fitness and lifestyle podcast